as we come to God's Word this morning together. We'll be in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Before we come to our text, have you ever wanted to run away from home? Have you ever felt so mad or unappreciated that you wanted to get away from your family? I know that I've shared before that when I was a little boy, I tried running away a few times, but I never made it very far. And my parents, I don't think, even knew that I was gone. That's how bad I was at running away. <laughs> well, he doesn't run away exactly, this is similar to what happens in the Christmas classic Home Alone. Kevin is angry with his family, feels unappreciated, and wishes he didn't have a family anymore. And he thinks his wish comes true when they all leave and leave him behind as they rush to get to the airport for their family vacation to visit family in France. And he thinks this comes true, and he has all the fun that he can think of as a little boy. Everything that he could think of possibly doing that he's not allowed to do, he does while he's home alone. But eventually he realizes that he loves his family, that he was wrong to wish that they were gone. This morning we have Jesus telling a similar type of story. Another parable of Jesus, a, a son who wants to leave home who feels like he's unappreciated or maybe he's always dumped on, as Kevin said in the movie, as the youngest, or whatever reason he had come up with in his mind, he wanted out. But this parable isn't just about this son, though it's often called the parable of the prodigal son. It's also not just about two sons, as the title of the sermon might suggest, one older and one younger. Yes, it is about two sons, but it's also, and more importantly, about the father. Let's read Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now, many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had spent everything. A severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what those things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word who became flesh and lived among us, Jesus. Lord, we pray as we come to your word that the living word might be revealed to us by your spirit. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were in the first part of Luke chapter 15, verses one through 10, and we heard the first two parables of this group of three, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We saw that those who were Sinners were coming to hear Jesus. They were longing to hear him, and the Pharisees were grumbling because of this. And we asked ourselves, are we those who have ears? Like the tax collectors and sinners. We asked ourselves, did we come last week? Do we come every week longing to hear Jesus? Or are we more like the Pharisees grumbling because Jesus doesn't meet our expectation or pays attention to the wrong people? Who are you? Who am I? Are you lost like the coin, like the sheep? If you've been found, are you a rejoicer or a grumbler? We saw that if we've been found by Jesus, we must be rejoicers and seekers, those who rejoice that those who are lost have been found and be sent by our Savior in the same mission that He came to seek the lost. This morning, we come to the third of these parables, all working together and helping us understand more fully the love, grace, and salvation that Jesus offers We've seen the shepherd's son who goes and finds the lost sheep. 
We've seen the woman with the lamp, representative of the spirit, seeking the lost coin. We come to the parable that shows us most clearly the Father. And so we ask ourselves this morning as we come to this passage, do we know the prodigal or extravagant love of the Father? Do we know the prodigal or extravagant love of the Father? And our main point today is that Jesus shows us the prodigal or extravagant love of the Father. We're going to see this by looking first at the younger brother and then the older brother and then some thoughts to wrap up. This younger brother we see in verse 12, he longed for a life that he wanted for himself, to go where he wanted, to go where he pleased. Life at home in some way was not what he desired or expected. He may have felt claustrophobic, like the walls were pressing in on him. He wanted out. He wanted something for himself. He asked the father for his inheritance, for his property. That was what his inheritance was, was property. Right? And by asking for his inheritance, we all understand that he was wishing in some form or fashion that his father was dead. And in order to receive this money, his inheritance, he had to sell off his portion of the family farm to get what he wanted. And so he leaves and he goes and he squanders his inheritance in reckless living. And he gets to the point where he hires himself out because he's squandered everything and he needs something to live on and he finds himself at the end of his rope. And in verse 15, where he finds himself working in the fields and, and longing for the pods of the pigs, at this point, the, the Pharisees who are listening and the rest of the Jewish hearers are ready for the story to end here. There's a similar second century Jewish story where the son who does this type of thing gets what he deserves. He's reduced to the horrendous level of feeding the most unclean of animals. The son is cut off from his Jewish community. And any financial charity that it would otherwise offer to him. And so Jesus is telling the story and the hearers are likely thinking, that's right. He gets what he deserves. His change of mind comes, and he's not just because he's miserable, though that certainly brings him to that point, but he's driven to remembering home. He longs to be with the Father, even if it has to be as his servant. 
And so while the hearers may have thought, yes, he's getting what he deserves. This is the end of the story. Jesus goes on and, and explains how he comes to his senses and rehearses this, this uh, speech of repentance and returns home. And likely the Pharisees and the scribes who are listening to him and accusing Jesus thinks, okay, good. He understands the response that is needed a deep sense of sorrow over his sin and an equally deep desire to make amends for that sin. And if the story was to end here, as I said, the, the Pharisees would have seen it as a good moralistic parable. It would conform to their expectations about the way in which outcasts and the tax collectors and the sinners were, who were listening should be restored to Israel. They must first show their deeds. They must clean themselves up, get themselves up. As some like to say, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and come back to Israel. That's what the Pharisees were expecting in the parable. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we've never heard this before, many of us would have the same response. Look, he's getting what he deserves. How dare he do that? He goes out. He's getting what he deserves. Okay, good. He's finally figured it out. He's cleaning himself up. He's going to go back. He's going to have this whole speech. He's going to become a servant. And maybe after a while, the father might see that he really means what he says, and he's going to welcome him back home. If we're honest with ourselves, that's how we would have probably heard this story as well. But the big surprise in the story comes in verse 20. The big surprise for the Pharisees and the scribes, and honestly for us, if we've never heard this story is the unpredictable character and love of the Father. Right? The actions of the Son in some ways are predictable. You and I, we've all been there in some form or fashion. We've realized our folly. We've realized that we're not doing it the right way. So we come up with a big speech. But what's unpredictable is the character and love of the Father. Says, the text says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Filled with compassion. It's his, his physically moved, right? This, this idea in, 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 in the Hebrew mind, that the compassion was like, like his bowels were moved, like his whole being was moved with a physical reaction. His body ached and thrilled at once. And he ran. He hiked up his, his robe, and he ran as fast as he could. 
and embraced him as an idiom that means he literally fell on his neck. Right? He sees the sun. He had to be looking, waiting, expecting. He sees his son and he runs and he runs to him and he falls on his neck. And showers him with kisses. And he kissed him. It wasn't just one kiss. <laughs> In the Greek, it's a continual kissing of his son. The father expresses his complete acceptance, his complete love his complete reconciliation with his son publicly. And notice when he does this, the son has not uttered a word yet. The father has already shown his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his grace. before the son utters one single word. A pastor friend, John Stork, in New York City, a couple weeks ago posted this on his Facebook page. I have no idea what the context is, but it fits so well. He said, I can appreciate that it's hard, extremely difficult exhausting, confusing, triggering, and demanding to play the role of the father, quote-unquote, to the prodigal son, quote-unquote. But be that father when a prodigal comes home. For God's sake, be that. Be that to those who are prodigals. Whether it's... Uh, biological prodigal or a spiritual prodigal, be that to them. Showing them this amazing love, this compassion of their heavenly Father. And notice that as the Son is enveloped by the Father and receives the forgiveness the compassion, the love, the kisses of his father, he begins to speak this, the same confession that he had rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice that he doesn't finish the confession that he rehearsed. In his rehearsal, he says all of that, and then he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. Why does he leave that off? Some commentators say, oh, because he got interrupted by his father who says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. No. There's no sense in the text that that's what's happening here. 
what's happening here. As as the son is received by the father, the son understands that he is first and foremost a son, a child. That he can be nothing else to his father. And so in that moment, he understands the Father's total acceptance and love. He leaves off this part because he is overwhelmed by grace. He, for the first time, understands how deep the Father's love is for him. He understands for the first time what full and complete grace is in his life. And he is received by the Father who tells the servants to bring the best robe, to put on the ring, put shoes on his feet. Let's throw a party for my son was dead. He was alive again. He was lost and is found. God the Father is at our home. On the highest point, scanning and looking out over the horizon for the lost to be returned. Right, it fits together, right, with what we've already seen, the, the, the son shepherd who goes and seeks the lost sheep and brings him home, brings the sheep home to great celebrating. The, the woman and the lamp, the, the spirit seeking the lost and celebrating with the community that she has found what was lost. The father waiting for the shepherd's son. For the light of the Holy Spirit to bring the lost home, to know his embrace, to know his kisses, to know his love, to know the celebration of coming home. We also have the older brother. Now, the older brother was not all that bad. He was a good man. I'm sure he was respected in his community. Respectable, correct, exemplary, obedient, dutiful son. Steady, dependable, industrious, thrifty. He understood what was morally right and wrong. None of those things could be said about the younger brother. Right? As good as the older brother 
is. The younger brother was as bad. But the elder brother was also judgmental. He was convinced of his own goodness. He was too attracted to his own, quote, hardships to understand his own brother. He was self-righteous. He overstated his performance. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Really? Never? Ever? He was convinced of his own goodness and his assurance made improvement impossible. You know, we see in Jesus' story that it's possible for the elder brothers to leave the father without ever leaving the farm. St. Augustine put it this way, for it is not by our feet nor by change of place that we either turn from thee or to thee in darkened affections lies the distance from thy face. The young son had been far from the father in a distant country, as one commentator puts it, because of his sins of passion. The elder son was separated from his father through sins of attitude. In some ways, the older son was even further away from the father than his younger brother, and he hadn't even left the farm. You see, what's interesting in this parable that we would probably miss because we don't understand all the contextual, cultural stuff going on, and I had never actually seen this before in the, few time, in the several times I've studied it or taught it, is that Jesus actually gives a hint at the beginning of the parable that the older son is just as alienated from the father as the younger. Because when the younger son comes and said to, said to his father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me, and he divided his property between them, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took the journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. The elder brother had to agree to the division of the property. The elder brother's role in the family was to reconcile his siblings with his father. The role of the elder brother was to go to seek the lost brother and to bring him home. The elder brother does none of that. The elder brother affirms the sale, this division of the property. The elder brother does not seek to reconcile the father and the brother. The elder brother does not leave the farm and go and look for the lost sheep. The lost son. How do elder brothers get this way? 
Jesus is confronting the Pharisees, but he's also confronting us, who maybe at one time were the lost son, the prodigal. Or maybe one time we've always been on the farm and we were as joyful and as celebratory as the father and at some point we lost that joy, that hope. How do elder brothers get this way? We begin to imagine ourselves as good people. Because we avoid all of those sins. Like buying prostitutes. All those sins of passion. We avoid those. Yet we struggle with sins of attitude. Jealousy, pride, judgmentalism. We become critical, judgmental, unloving. And Jesus is warning us, not just the Pharisees, he's warning all of us. who are of the righteous, the ones who have been given the kingdom not to become older brothers or not to have been an elder brother your entire life. Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've never fully recognized the depth of your need, the depth of your sin. And it becomes so easy to point out other people's faults, to point out other people's sin, to not welcome them home. Can you imagine if the elder brother had met the son on the road instead of the father? How dare you come home? What in the world are you thinking? Who do you think you are? He would have cursed him up and down and left and right and sent him on his way. Until you get it straightened out, then come back home. Thank God that our true elder brother Jesus is not like that. That he is the one who doesn't agree to split the possessions, that he's the one who reconciles us to the Father, that he's the one who goes and seeks the lost no matter where we are, no matter where we've gone, no matter where they are going, and brings them home. <coughs> and if we find ourselves as an elder brother, what is the remedy. Verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Right? Several weeks ago, we were reminded there is an abundance of gospel love and grace and mercy. There's abundance of God's kingdom. There is not a lack 
And our Father says to us, it's all yours. Don't be stingy. Don't be mad. Don't be angry. Live in the reality that it is all yours because it is all mine. You too are my son, are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Right? That's what the Father is saying. Even to the Pharisees, even to the older, elder brother, you are my son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. All that is mine is yours. One application aside from just understanding who we are and who our Father is in relation to us. For the seeking church, right? The woman with the lamp. As we talked about last week, the woman representing the bride of Christ, the lamp, the spirit, that the spirit helps the church seek those who are lost. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on these three parables, says that they work together, showing the work of the Son, the Spirit, and the Father. The Son seeks like the shepherd. The Spirit illuminates the heart like the woman with the lamp illuminates the room. And the Father watches with expectant hope for the lost, who, the lost to be found and brought home. And he says, quote, if, if Jan put the three pictures in a line, they represent the whole compass of salvation. Yet each one is distinct from the other and by itself instructive. And what is Spurgeon getting at? He's getting at that for us as the church, as we go to seek that which is lost, that this teaching that Jesus gives us in these parables help us to understand the different places we find people as we share the gospel in word and deed. Right? They might go astray like the lost sheep. They were once a part of the fold of God, but they have wandered off from the fold. Right? This patch of grass, that patch of grass, that patch of grass, nothing where they've willfully just gone away, but something has caused them to continue to wander away like the lost sheep or like the lost coin. The coin that is lost is completely out of commission, can't be found. Or like the foolish son. Who goes and squanders all that he has. Now, how, how all these three facets are to be explained in any particular person, it's a matter of prayer and wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit. But they are all true. And they may all be true about the same person at various times in their life. So as we understand these three parables, it helps us to understand the message and the means of salvation. to bring the hope of the gospel to those who are lost, no matter how 
or why or when. You may have heard this story that I'll close with. It's a story of a, it's a story from Spain where a father and a son had become estranged. And the son ran away and the father set off to find him. He searched for months to no avail. And finally, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad simply read, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of this newspaper office at noon on Saturday. All is forgiven. I love you. On Saturday, the father showed up at that newspaper office and found 800 Pacos waiting for him, looking forgiveness for forgiveness and love from each of their fathers. Our father didn't just put an ad in the newspaper, but he sent his one and only son to find us, to bring us home. Because he loves you. All is forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are a good, good father. Father who runs to us and welcomes the lost home. It reminds us that all is forgiven. Lord, I pray that whether we find ourselves as a lost son or daughter this day, or an older son or older daughter this day. Lord, might we know where our home is with you. May we know your great love that all that you have is ours. We thank you that you sent your son to seek and to save. Lord, may we as your church seek as well and point to the one who saves, Jesus. We pray all this in his powerful and precious name. Amen.